This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. Welcome to the Crusader Podcast, a show about the Castles and Crusades role-playing game. Insert Latin phrase here. The die is cast. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Crusader Podcast. This is Jesse, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Carl, Tyler Moe. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for our second episode of the Crusader Podcast. Uh, We want to jump right into things. So our first segment is called News from the Bogs. That's where we're going to go over any sort of convention news or Castles and Crusades news, Kickstarters, general RPG news, things like that. So, Tyler, did you want to talk about GameholeCon? Sure, we've got a game hole con coming up uh, November 8th through the 11th in Madison, Wisconsin. You know, this con's been going since 2013, and Troll Lord Games is, uh, you know, we were there from the first uh, convention, one of the uh, early dealers, and we've been going back each and every year. And it's it's a great time, 8th through the 11th. And we do have some games on the schedule, uh, a variety of people, uh, some of our old fan faithful Stephen Chenault's going to be running that big 20-person CNC game that he puts on at, at conventions as a rule. Uh, I'll be running a couple as well. And then we've got, you know, some of the fan faithful out there that'll be, uh, you maybe you've seen them online, they'll be running some games as well. We're still looking for people to run games, and I have it on good authority from Alex Kammer, uh, the main convention organizer of a game hole. We can get those submissions as late as around October 1st. So if you can get uh, to uh, gameholecon.com and look for where you submit your events. As long as you've got them in before that date, that would be great. And and we would love to have the support of our players, even if you're running some of our other Siege-related games like Amazing Adventures and Victorious or your own homebrew Siege Engine games where you're utilizing the system, but maybe you've got a different setting you're playing in. And we'd love to have any of that. So feel free to help us out and check out Gamehole con.com if you want to submit games prior to october 1st and bear in mind that convention is november 8th through the 11th madison wisconsin can't recommend it enough another one we have on the convention front and this is one that troll lord's been doing for quite a while steven and david chanel attended this one back in 2006 i've been a long time attendee and then troll lord games uh courtesy of yours truly has been selling there since about 2012 and that is archon in Collinsville, Illinois. It's kind of a multifaceted con. So if you like not just gaming, but costuming, sci-fi, any number of things, a big party in the evenings at a nearby hotel, just a lot going on there. It That con's been running for 40 plus years, I think 30 something years at least. Uh, there is a fair amount of gaming there. Uh, we're going to be in the dealer's room as well. That is October 12th through the 14th in Collinsville, Illinois. So if you're near St. Louis, it's about 30 minutes from there. Uh, we do have at least six games on the schedule. If you're on our Facebook pages, maybe you see Andy Schwartz and Doug Mars. Those are some of our CNC fan faithful. They're running two Castles and Crusades games each. Matter of fact, I might point out that Doug is running some of our latest product, which is the uh, Hollowed Oracle, based on the uh, Abyss Walker series by fantasy author Shane Moore. Shane is a longtime CNC player. And uh, he finally got his material out, co-written by Jason Vay and some of the other trolls in the mix. He's going to run two adventures from the Hollowed Oracle, so we're looking forward to that. We'll have some of that merchandise 
on hand to sell for our customers at Archon. And uh, I believe Andy's running a couple of games, the, the uh, Tomb of the of Dougamus the Great. I'm sure that's named after Doug Mars probably, but either way, he's got a two-part fantasy adventure for CNC, and he's going to have a lot of 3D terrain. This guy is fantastic. Both of them are great castle keepers, and Andy is an R2-D2 builder and a restorer of old Mustangs, and you ought to see the terrain he can build. And I'm sure we'll all be impressed with what he's got there at Archon in October. I'm going to be running two games, which will be Amazing Adventures and Victorious to support some of our other Siege Engine lines. So that's kind of what's going on with the convention front in St. Louis area and in Madison, Wisconsin. Awesome. So we got a lot of things coming up. Game Hall Con is one of my favorite conventions. I've been there three times. Unfortunately, I won't be there this year because I'm attending a smaller local con that I go to every year also. And they just so happen to be on the same weekend. But it's a great time. I love it. Uh, you get to see a lot of the old TSR people that are there. Um, you get to really rub shoulders with some great RPG designers. Yeah, no doubt about it. Can't recommend that classic gaming con. I say classic. It's it's only, what, six years old or so now. But it, it yep. really is the trifecta of gaming cons. Uh, even if you like the newer games like CNC and our good friends at Dungeon Crawl Classics and people like Jolly Blackburn from Knights to the Dinner Table and a million others you could mention, not to mention the old D&D. I put that yeah. right in there with Gary Khan and North Texas RPG Con as well. So definitely check that out. It just keeps growing by leaps and bounds. It, it wouldn't surprise me if that ends up being kind of an old Milwaukee Gen Con someday. I could, yeah. I, I don't know why I get that feeling, but I, with Alex Kammer, Mike Mahalis and those guys, I, I could totally imagine that. Yeah, it's a great time, and I have played in one of Steve's big 20-player games. Um, it's crazy, but it's it's a real fun time. You'd think I'd get to be in some more Steve and Chenault games, but when you're working the cons, it doesn't happen a lot. I played in one of his back at uh, TrollCon 2009, but even people like Jim Ward, I will tell you, and, and Jim is a fantastic uh, uh, castle keeper, dungeon master extraordinaire, and he'll tell you he just marvels at how well Steven runs a game with that many people, or at least on the underside of 20 or slightly over 20, and keeps the interest and the action going. If you haven't done it, I think today I saw that there's still a fair amount of seats open on that game. So don't hesitate to get in with some of the modern uh, legends of RPGs, if I might say. <laughs> I got to build Steven up a little bit here. He needs he needs a good reputation. But no, seriously, he runs a fantastic game, and that is one of the many games we've got on the schedule thus far at Game Hole Con. Yep, people get your tickets, you won't be disappointed. All right, everybody, we are setting up an email address and phone number so that you can write us or leave voicemails for us. Phone number is still being processed, um, but the email account is thecrusaderpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, please let us know how you think the podcast is doing, what you would like to hear um, any ideas that you have for us is something that we're passionate about and we really want to make it everything that it can be. So please let us know what you like, what you don't like, and any ideas that you have. All right, let's get into the front lines uh, where we talk about what we've been doing in gaming recently. Tyler, what have you been doing in gaming recently? Well, um, in the last week or so, it is Siege Engine related. I won't spend too much time on it, but it is 100% compatible with Castles and Crusades, which is the Amazing Adventures Pulp RPG. I've got uh, some games coming up at Archon and St. Louis area that I have to run, and I kind of wanted to play test some of Jason Vay's adventures for Amazing Adventures that I had yet to run. 
And I've ran about ah, three quarters to half of two sessions with two different groups over the Labor Day weekend and just before that. And those uh, those were really nice. It turned out really well. People that generally play a lot of fantasy, but this time it was Pulp and uh, set in New Orleans. Uh, some pre-generated characters that Jason Vay, one of our Castles and Crusades and Amazing Adventures contributors and authors uh, crafted called Don't Fear the Ripper. But, you know, it, the beauty of this game is, is just that it's uh, 100% compatible with CNC. Down the road, we can tell you about things like psionics rules that are in that game and any number of things that you can use in your CNC game. But that's kind of what's been going on this last week. Uh, previously, I had run uh, some more of Shadows of Halfling Hall that I have inserted into the world of Aired for a local group, uh, a couple of friends, and my son recently joined up with that every other weekend. And I'm hoping uh, probably by the time you hear this, we have continued that probably. And that's an ongoing campaign set in the South March and eventually the Elkhorn Deeps of Aired and then moving into other areas as we go along. Okay, awesome. Um, Carl, how about you? The last RPG I played was when my um, sister and her husband and daughter came and visited us. And uh, my son uh, wanted to play a quick game. And so I uh, sit them out in front of a, a dungeon and uh, set my terrain tiles on the table and decided that they were going to be uh, actively crashing an anthill. Uh, this dungeon that some kids had ran into was actually a giant anthill. And so there was all types of giant bugs and ants in there for them to fight. Um, but it was just really fun to uh, have an impromptu game like that with family. It's always a, a treat to get to, to game with my family. They all, all game. And so anytime we can get together and, and roll some dice together, it's always uh, just a blast. That yeah, sounds those... like some movie I saw in the 70s, I think. Yeah. <laughs> giant ants. <laughs> Well, uh, for myself, um, on Monday, I started a CNC campaign at my friendly local gaming store. Uh, awesome. My wife is playing in that, along with three other guys there. And we had our first session. They made up characters. Um, I think they were pretty impressed with how easy the system is to make characters. And we got to make our characters and start playing right away. So that was a great time. Not Siege-related, but I've recently found a game called Gaslands. And it is a Mad Max style uh, car war game. So yeah. you go and it's awesome. <laughs> you go and you buy like Matchbox or Hot Wheels cars, and you just make them look uh, post-apocalyptic like. And it's it's a war game, and it's awesome. So you set up like death races, things like that. Felt kind of weird going and buying Hot Wheels for the first time in like twenty years, but uh, also got some cool bits for like um warhammer games and other things and just glued them onto the car hit a couple of them with a hammer and and painted them up a little bit and it's super easy game and it's been a lot of fun and you could easily probably take something like that or the concept and even roll it into the siege engine itself by use of the uh castles and crusades rules even amazing adventures not that there might someday be a post-apocalyptic game uh, I don't know if that's a bit of foreshadowing or not, but you never know about these things. But I, I can imagine how much easier is just with role playing that you could add into those uh, mechanics with with that game. It sounds really cool. Yeah, it's fun. I, I you should check it out. The PDF's only a couple of bucks, and I mean, Matchbox cars are a dollar each. So Jesse, when you sit down uh, some new players to to roll up characters, what is your dice stat distribution method? I like 3d6 for castles and crusades i let them pick where they go 
Usually I'm 3D6 down the line, but for CNC, I let them pick. I do. I, I, I'm uh, similar. If I'm running a campaign game, I roll 3D6 in place. If I'm rolling uh, up characters for a one-shot, uh, 3D6 down the line. Oh, yeah. Totally agree. For a one-shot, you're rolling 3D6 down the line, and it doesn't matter what you get. <laughs> uh, well, that takes us into um, our prime topic. Uh, which is a segment where we talk about the the main thing that the episode is about. And today it's about getting new people interested in playing Castles and Crusades. Uh, like I said, I just started a game at the friendly local gaming store. I'm excited about that. They seem energized about it. They've all played role-playing games before. It seems like something that they want to continue doing, so I'm going to be running that every other week. What what are some things that you guys have done to to get interest for people to play CNC? For these guys... We were playing another old school style game and I just brought it up. I kept bringing it up that, you know, CNC is a rules like game. It's just like the older games that you've played before, but with some of the new twists that everybody likes. And, you know, I brought it up, tried not to be pushy about it, but eventually got them to say, hey, yeah, we'll give it a shot. And I started running the game. What do you guys find is a good way to get people interested in it? Well, I think what you're doing, running the game in an open environment like a store is the number one thing you can do just because of the added visibility and i don't know if you run an open table if you let people come and join if they're interested or not but even even just being out there so people can see it being played i think is a huge boon to the community yeah i agree um i do have an open gaming table so anybody can join in but yeah getting it out there in the stores uh hanging up a little flyer uh, I think goes a long ways too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We, um, a friend and I, were playing at a local store, and we had invited some people, and they weren't able to come, so it ended up being just me and him. Uh, so we decided to just we drew up a sign real quick, and it was a piece of notebook paper and a sharpie, and we wrote "Join in anytime," you know, old school RPG, and we drew a smiley face on it and stuck it on the table, and we added two people to the group. Uh, before we were done playing and uh, you know that helps because there's a little bit of awkwardness with just approaching and saying what are you doing you know could I try this you, you know people don't know how you'll react there's a little bit of of privacy they feel that they're infringing upon uh, if they come up to your game and ask to join so making that public information when you're in an open game and you're willing to let anybody sit down and, and try it and, and roll up a character making a sign and i've since actually made a detailed like uh, nice font and image sign that says please jump in anytime uh join anytime you want uh and i just put anytime i'm running a game i set that out there and just anybody who wants to jump in can jump in and it always works if they see that sign somebody who wanted to jump in will where maybe other than that they would shy away from it yeah, yeah. uh introducing new people to uh, the to the game or just games that i've had interest in over the years has always been a lot of fun for me. Uh, there was a time, and I, I can't tell you how many hours I ran of Savage Worlds from Pinnacle Entertainment, for example, but I became the first legendary explorer of an old club they used to have where you kind of racked up rewards and whatnot. And I did a lot of that even in the early years of when I was um, first introduced to CNC. I think I picked up Savage Worlds maybe a year or so before. Uh, the CNC hardcovers came out in 05. So I had a lot of experience with doing that. I love that sort of thing anyway. I, I like people and hanging out with fellow gamers and whatnot. And 
naturally as the years went on and uh, with CNC as well, I did the same thing uh, prior to working with Troll and then certainly after. Uh, sometimes it would be game stores or conventions or just local friends. And generally it, it's uh, pretty successful overall. Once in a while, you know, you'll come across some people where maybe it wasn't their cup of tea. Just, you know, they may prefer, you know, there are a lot of people that are as passionate as we are about Castles and Crusades. They're as passionate for, let's say, Pathfinder or or whatever may have been, or 3.5 at the time, probably those sorts of things. And, uh, but generally you have pretty good success at, at getting people into the game. And it can be people who are very old school that say, yeah, this is kind of cool and it plays really easy. Or it could just be new people who come along and they can easily pick up on the Siege Engine, which is the heart of the game. I mean, that is absolutely the heart of Castles and Crusades. And everybody can have a good time. And and I, I like the, the thing of just making friends out of it as well. Whether it's some people just north of here that I uh, met in 2014 and ran at a game store that's now unfortunately out of business. But I made uh, several friends and some of those guys I played with, Amazing Adventures with just this past weekend. And then uh, even people at Game Holcon. I can't forget the first year, one of our CNC games somehow ended up scheduled at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning. And that that's a, if a con even starts a gaming schedule on Sunday at 8 a.m., that's unusual. But apparently they had, and we had at least six people that had signed up for that game at 8 a.m. And uh, a couple of them, particularly the, uh, the guy's wife, uh, Missy, uh, she still plays every year with us. And sometimes her husband there at Game Holcon. And they've just come back year after year after year. And people like uh, Ted Wallerstedt and, and Chris, uh, Crystal and, and some others that join us at Game Hole in recent years. And I like that aspect of it, too, uh, if I might digress, just on the friendships and just kind of some of the relationships you establish with uh, people on the convention circuit and at the game stores. And then if you're lucky, you get to game with those people as often as possible. It's always cool to run into people that you played with at conventions, at other conventions. Um, it's, it's amazing how many of those people you will see again. Uh, I, I always think that's cool. And, you know, you always have like a little bit of camaraderie and you talk about, oh, you remember that one time when we played in Tyler's game or, or whatever. That's, that's always great. Um, Carl, I like what you said about the sign, um, and bringing people in because it is kind of intimidating just to walk up and, and ask to join a game. Uh, when I run convention games, which is my favorite way to get people into CNC, um, I always, when I see somebody walking by, if they look a little lost or look like they have some free time, I always say, Hey, there's a spot open. If you want to, if you want to join in and I've got a lot of people to join that way. Um, but conventions are, are my favorite way. Like I said, to get people into CNC, I went to Gen Con this year. I ran two games. Um, I think there was about 10 people there, uh, between the two games and none of them had played CNC before. So I did my best to make the game as presentable as possible to show all of its strengths and to show how easy it was. And I converted quite a few of those people. I know for a fact that some of them went and got books. Um, so that is always my favorite way uh, to get people in. Uh, Carl, I know you've got tons of experience with um, Arkansas RPG Con and pulling people in that way. Do you got anything to say about convention games? Uh, I always say... If a, if a campaign is a fantasy novel, then a convention game is an action-adventure movie. 
they should be reaching for popcorn the whole time on the edge of their seat, ready to go. Because the convention game just got has to has to push, 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 push. So getting people involved in some ways is easier in a convention game because you're like, sit down, there's orcs there, go, 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 go. Whereas in a campaign, you say, oh, you want to join our campaign? Well, sit down. Let me tell you about the 20-minute history of what's already happened. With a well-run convention game, it is so fast and loose that it's it's a lot easier to jump in on one of those. And um, I do think I have a little bit of a, a home-field advantage getting people interested in playing Castles of Crusades because I get the added benefit of saying it's made right here in Arkansas. You know, this company that makes this are here. This is Arkansas's RPG, you know, and that's kind of exciting for people in the area. Yeah, it's always nice to have that that kind of, well, I say home state or hometown connection. I guess I'm up in Missouri, so it's close enough within four hours. But yeah, so you can always say, hey, hey these guys are out of Arkansas. They're just gamers. Uh, they're at Troll Lord Games and enjoy doing what they do. They're just old D&D players who made their own game, worked with Gary Gygax, Jim Ward, and a slew of others, uh, past and present. And it's just a nice history. And sometimes that draws people to the game. Um, you know, people that were tied in more to the earlier editions of D&D as all of us were in the um, 1980s at the very least. And it's kind of a nice little connection. And, and sometimes that's a thing for people or they like the feel of the game in that it, it reminds them of the earlier D&D, but it has maybe uh, a, a more streamlined system with the Siege Engine, and that's appealing. And then sometimes you get people that have always wanted to do some fantasy role-playing games, and they've heard of the fantasy game, but maybe they've not even played that, and you, you get them in there. I, one of the uh, most amusing uh, players, or she always amused me with some of the things she would say, is um, I guess at Archon and Dicon, and these are both in Collinsville, Illinois, Dicon's a smaller gaming only convention i believe it was archon she showed up probably in 2014 and it was this uh, woman she's a school teacher in st louis and she said i used to play dungeons and dragons i guess first and second edition something like that and she played in a demo game and she just loved it and i guess she was looking at getting back into gaming and she has just become one of our faithful she shows up at both conventions every year makes the 20 or 30 minute drive she and her family and her and her kids they're all on fire her husband everybody and i'll never forget the message i got with, uh, from her after uh, having that first game with him and sometimes i would give him a card and say hey don't hesitate to uh text me or whatever if you have questions about the game or anything and usually everybody i think disregards it you never hear from anybody sometimes but i did hear from her and she said We've been playing CNC for months now, and I enjoy killing my husband in the finest old school tradition. <laughs> She's a sweetheart. We we love her to death, and we all keep talking about getting together in St. Louis at her house, and we just haven't done it yet. We've got practically got the weekend planned out, and that has been another just joy of uh, running so many sessions of this game and going on the road with it at the stores in the conventions and and that's just another fringe benefit of playing cnc or i suppose any game but uh cnc certainly for me and just the the people that we've managed to stay in touch with and in contact with they come back buy the product or or some of them just come and they make it a point to be in your game every year like missy i mean she's been in every game since 2013 and i think she got signed up for one of mine this year at game hole con so i, I love that you know because i'm i'm not a jim ward or a steven chanel i get by I think there's a certain responsibility that comes with running a game at a convention. I go to a lot of conventions and I've been stuck in some bad games, you know, 
you're there with people, strangers usually for four hours. Um, so I've had various game masters that either weren't excited about the game that they were playing or just honestly were bad. You know, it wasn't an enjoyable time and you can tell nobody's really having fun. I think when you run a convention game, you really do have to do your very best to make it a fun time for everybody because these people paid money to get in the convention. Um, you're running a game that you care about, right? Um, so I really think you got to bring your A game to convention games. If you do a really good job, you get people excited about the game and they think about it later and maybe they decide to pick it up or maybe they decide to pick up a similar game to it or, you know, keep playing games like that. Yeah, you know, and I have to admit one time I did, I uh, was unable to find my adventure material. Now that's a story in itself for Castles and Crusades. Those games are actually on the schedule again this year at Game Hole uh, in November. I uh, had packed some things away and these were two adventures that a buddy of mine and I came up with in part through Jim Ward's Towers of Adventure that's you know available from Troll Lord uh, Games and whatnot, where you can generate these towers. They've got 15, 16 tower stories, and then you've got all these NPCs, treasures, and so forth you can inhabit. But somehow I packed away a bunch of things, and that's why I couldn't find a folder. So I, I ran some other stuff on the fly, but everybody was really cool with that. But yeah, you want to try and be as prepared as possible, but sometimes things can happen, and they they all rolled with it really well. And then also, you know, um, in my experience, you can have a wide variety of people at the table, and sometimes you've even got children there, and that's been a real joy uh, with Castles and Crusades. And we've got another family that shows up. I believe it's a Gary Con, and I, I recall they're from uh, Minnesota, and the family shows up, and at least their kids and at least one of the parents play in one game a year with us, and those have just been something to see. I, I think they're late elementary and middle school and they are just so into it, and uh, and their parents have obviously raised them right. They're really nice kids, and uh, I just happened to think of that from uh, Gary Con earlier this year. And then you know, people that just keep coming back to the table each and every year. But that's that's another thing too. You'll have a wide uh, age range as well, and it's uh, very satisfying to be able to run for the kids as well. I love running games for kids. What I like about another thing I like about CNC is it's it's simple enough for them to get it. You know. You don't have to really dumb it down for them. Um, what I really like about playing with kids is you have no idea what they're going to do. <laughs> they're always unpredictable. They always do the craziest stuff, and it always makes the game way more interesting. I think as far as pitching Castles and Crusades to somebody, especially somebody who's played other games, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's almost easier today now because the most popular, uh, uh, most well-known um, fantasy RPG is very similar to Castles and Crusades in a lot of ways. So you can kind of pitch it as a streamlined, easier to run, and um, less paperwork version of that very popular fantasy RPG. Sure, and that, there's no doubt about that. I guess the, the Siege Engine mechanic and I guess the D20 rolls in the uh, latest version of the fantasy game would be, you know, roll D20, add a proficiency bonus, add your modifier versus roll D20 with us and add your level and add your modifier. But yeah, CNC has that appeal. I think if people can look at both where I, th I think, like you said, it is a little easier and, and certainly the latest version of the fantasy game is, is very streamlined. And of course, castles and crusades for those that want to get into a new game, we have so much material out there for the for the public to, gaming public to look at. I mean, of course, they've 
been doing CNC for 14 years now. So many of those modules, if not all of them are adventures, whatever you prefer, are uh, generally still in print as are most of the uh, settings and the accessory uh, books or the supplemental books, rather uh, your uh, Codex uh, Keltarum, the various mythological books or uh, any number of books that we have, Towers of Adventure, Engineering Dungeons, and that sort of thing. So there's there's that appeal, too, for people looking to get into Castles and Crusades, is that we have a plethora of material, uh, more than you could buy at once. And, and, and you don't have to have it all at once. CNC runs uh, beautifully just with the Monster and Treasure. If you're going to run the game, you, you need at least one of the three monster books we have. But also the, the Castle, uh, the, rather the Player's Handbook. And then if you want the Castle Keeper's Guide, what a tome that is. And I know we'll do different bits of the Castle Keeper's Guide on the Crusader podcast, but that's the beauty of Castles and Crusades. I At conventions, uh, when people come by, it, it, if it seems like somebody's played in our game or somebody just comes up and they're interested, you know, I try and work them out a nice little deal where, hey, we've got, you know, Player's Handbook, Monster and Treasure, get them into a, an adventure as well. That way they can try it out and not have to worry about making their own adventures right at that point. And it just lends itself really well especially the siege engine and the combat just being relatively simple then you can delve into reading the spell descriptions or uh, how does grapple or overbearing or a few of those things work and that is the beauty of cnc uh, there are other simpler games or simple games i should say but cnc just seems to out simple so many of them as far as i'm concerned in in the fantasy realm at the very least and it's one of the many things that attracted to me at back, back as far back as 2005. Yeah, I think um, that brings up another population of, of people that start playing games is people that have never played any role-playing game. Like we said, with D&D being so popular right now, a lot of people want to get into RPGs. Um, fantasy is popular. Sci-fi is popular. Um, with Game of Thrones out there, all the superhero movies everybody loves. It's kind of cool. It's cool to be a nerd right now. Um, so I've got a new players just by saying, hey, do you want to play this game? And CNC is easy and simple. I put the player's handbook right in their hand. I'm like, don't worry about all these rules. This is only a little section that you need to read. Let me make your character with you real quick. And then we're playing in 20 minutes. And it, it's great. Um, the game group, my home game group right now is made up um, primarily of people who have never played RPGs before. And that's been a real treat for me. Uh, we've jumped from different games. We always go back to CNC. That's the one they talk about. Um, that's the one they like, and it's the one that I like running. So getting those new people in is is really um, something that I enjoy. And uh, we brought those people to Gen Con with us. There, Some of them are going to Gamehole Con this year. Um, just getting people in the hobby and excited about the hobby and excited about CNC is something that I, I really love doing. Let's talk about the third group of people. We, we, we've mentioned people who have never played an RPG. And we've mentioned people who have played current, very popular RPGs, but there is a third group of people that might be interested in Castles and Crusades. And that's the kind of person that's only ever played or will only ever consider playing a game that was made in 1984 or earlier. You know, the very entrenched old school gamer might find a lot in Castles and Crusades to really enjoy. My mom is, is one of those people. Um, she grew up playing first edition and basic. She saw my friends and I playing another version of D&D that was very complicated. She could never understand why we liked it. <laughs> she 
always joked about how long it took us to make characters and things like that. A few years ago, I got her back into role-playing through playing C&C. And she was able to jump right into it just like when she played first edition back in the day. I, I would argue it's easier to jump into C&C than it is first edition. And, uh, you know, that might ruffle some feathers, but whatever. It's true, though. <laughs> now, um, I think what... Uh, the kind of the pitch there for castles and crusades for somebody who's played old school rpgs only is castle and crusades provides a way of character customization without devolving into a giant list of skills or a giant bunch of boxes to tick that become this level of minutia and counting i think the prime attribute system in and of itself is wonderful and it doesn't slow down character creation really at all it's one little extra choice to make at the beginning and you're good to go it also kind of helps uh meet new players and old players in the middle too uh new players um they're used to what they view as as very customizable characters and they see they may see older school games as less customizable uh but the prime attribute system does kind of meet in the middle so it does give them that customization and it also gives like you said the old school players customization without going to the level that some of the other games are at and and the ability for the old school players in particular those uh from the mid late 70s and in at least up through maybe let's say even second edition and the various basic experts and beck me box sets and uh even the uh the rule cyclopedia crowd i guess that entire uh, group we could include in this it gives them the chance to perhaps convert some of the old D&D material to Castles and Crusades. I've not done any of that yet. I really need to, and I've wanted to, but we've got so many people in our Castles and Crusades uh, Facebook group that know how to do that, our various forums at trollord.com and others, that it, it sounds like it's a relatively simple affair, and that, that may be another appeal for the, the old school crowd as well. Yeah, it's super easy. And another thing is they can convert their old characters. If they have characters sitting around from the late 80s or, or late 70s or whatever, you can update those to CNC. So now we're going to go into the segment of the podcast called Deep Dive, where we pull an optional rule or some other sort of content from the Castle's Keeper's Guide and illustrate it and show why we think it's something that you could use in your games. The one that we'd like to do first is the non-caster scroll use. That's going to be on page 57 of the second printing of the Castle Keeper's Guide. This is an optional rule that you can use uh, for casting spells from scrolls, both divine and arcane. And it gives you the options to allow characters that would normally not be able to cast spells or read scrolls the ability to do so. It's really cool. It's just a couple paragraphs. Uh, basically, your non-caster can cast a spell uh, with a challenge level of 5 plus 1 per the spell level that's attempted. It works on Divine Scrolls and Arcane Scrolls. On a successful read, the scroll works. The challenge level saves for the spell's effects are reduced to the minimum caster level required to cast a spell. So it does give you the lowest effect for the save. And what I think is the most exciting thing is if the character fails in reading the spell... There's a non-caster scroll failure chart where you actually roll a d8 and it tells you what happens when the, the spell fails. So, for instance, like a 6 through an 8, the spell just fizzles. It has no effect whatsoever, and the reading just simply fails. If you roll a 1, you get the opposite effect. 
combat spells strike the caster rather than the intended target. Or if using a summoning spell, the caster is teleported to the summoned creature's lair and must face it alone instead of bringing the summoned creature to you, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds cool to you, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, it, it's a great table because, you know, uh, most people that have the player's handbook, especially players and obviously our castle keepers that need that book and the monster and treasure. Uh, it, the, the castle keepers guide is not a book that everybody owns, but if you own the player's handbook, you know that uh, many times the reading of these scrolls, as far as class abilities, is usually limited to the rogue and the uh, bard, uh, they get a negative 10 check, as I recall here, to uh, to uh, be able to read the scroll. Uh, however, a bard can actually cast that scroll, whereas officially in the rules, the, uh, the rogue can't. And then with the other classes, without checking every last one of them, it looks as if most of them can't attempt it at all. But of course, in cap, uh, castles and crusades, uh, a GM could rule, or a castle keeper rather, could rule that you could uh, attempt that other class ability, you're generally encouraged not to add that uh, character class's level into the role. Uh, but otherwise, that, that's a great thing that the Castle Keeper Guide does. It, it has all these great things like non-caster scroll use that you can use in your game. And then if you find that you want to uh, change it from there, uh, the, the guys at Trollor Games have always encouraged people to make the game theirs, you know? So I think there's all sorts of room for interpretation Depending on how you dis decide to run this, the negative 10 may actually end up being the more powerful, the more the easier role to make. Because even though they get a negative 10, that's a class ability. They're going to be adding their level. That is true. Yeah, yeah, true. So if you're a 10th level rogue, that comes out to a zero. You have a primary in your intelligence stat. Then you're rolling, you know, 12 or more. It's way easier. True. Could, yeah. But I could see, depending on character concept, uh, uh, allowing level or half level to this role as well. Yeah. I would give a pretty big boon to um, paladins interacting with cleric scrolls. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would probably just yeah, let them add point. their level. A major difference between castles and crusades and other uh, fantasy role-playing games is uh, the classes like the paladin and the ranger aren't spellcasters in their nature, where in a lot of other fantasy role-playing games, um, those types of classes are kind of this in-between half-fighter, uh, half-spellcaster. And in um, Castles and Crusades, they are essentially variant fighters. They have special abilities, but they don't have a spell list. They don't go through the ritual spells. So with that in mind, the paladin being so deeply connected to the cleric I would probably give the Paladin a bonus on scroll use for Cleric Scrolls um, or possibly um, dependent on level and scroll being used, let them do it automatically. So if you're a 10th level Paladin and you have a first level Cleric Scroll, I'd probably say you can do that. Go for it. Um, as opposed to having to make this check. Yeah, and, and that's the beauty of Castles and Crusades in general. And I'm sure we will say this a million times over the course of each uh, each podcast is that the siege engine, even if you say, well, I think I'm going to use a little bit of this rule for uh, non-caster uh, scroll use uh, from the CKG, but I'm going to tweak it a little bit. It's the beauty of the siege engine, once again, and we'll say it a million times, that you could just say, hey, okay, here's the role we need, here's the attribute we're going to use, and I'm going to do this 
because the paladin might favor being able to read that divine scroll or somebody else might do better at reading the arcane scroll or whatever you want to do and make the game yours and, and set the uh, obviously the challenge base of a 12 or 18 for primary or secondary and then add your own uh, CL as you see fit. And if a D8 on the Castle Keeper's Guide table isn't good enough for you on the uh, effects of that non-caster scroll use, then roll a D10 or D12 and add some of your own. Yeah, I could see this as something that I would like to to beef up and, and like you said, add some to it. I think you could definitely get a, a big wild magic-like table built on this, you know? Especially if scrolls are something that are common in your campaign world. Uh, one, one thing you could use this for as well... Um, is low-level casters using high-level scrolls. You may want to insert this in there to have kind of, okay, well, you can try to use this ninth-level scroll, <laughs> uh, Apprentice Wizard, but there could be consequences, you know, and just to pull this same chart out and use it for that. Yeah, that's a great idea. I like that a lot. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us for our second episode of the Crusader Podcast. Uh, we're still excited and really want to continue doing this. Um, any feedback that you can give us would be great. Um, again, you can email us at thecrusaderpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're also getting a phone number that should be up soon. And please uh, visit our website, crusaderpodcast.com. Some games may change, but the Siege Engine remains the same. The rain in Spain falls mainly in the plains. <laughs> it's a mouthful, yeah. Yeah, I like it though. I like it. <laughs>